Hudson Taylor uh, was a busy, busy man. Some of you have heard of Hudson Taylor. So he was one of the first missionaries to inland China, 1800s. He was from England, but God had gripped his heart with the fact that there were millions and millions of people in China who had never heard the gospel. And so he moved to inland China, started evangelizing, started church planting, and under his leadership, hundreds of other missionaries came to inland China. So think of how much responsibility Hudson Taylor had, how overwhelming his schedule would have been. So not only was he involved in evangelism and church planting in China, but he was overseeing hundreds of other missionary evangelists and church planters with all of the correspondence that involved with no email, no phones, no, no texts. What do you do without texts? You know, none of that stuff going on, just correspondence and training and logistics and fundraising and administration. So Hudson Taylor was a very busy man. And yet in spite of that, one of the most amazing things about Hudson Taylor, and one thing that you pick up as you read his journals, is that with all that busyness, he had an ongoing, vibrant, experiential, heartfelt relationship and fellowship with Jesus Christ. He maintained a heart that was full of love for the Lord through this whole time. Let me read you what he wrote about how he did that and what he would suggest to all of us in terms of how we do that. Now, we're all busy here in Abu Dhabi, right? None of us are as busy as Hudson Taylor would have been. Listen to what he said. Communion with Christ requires our coming to him. This isn't complicated. It requires our coming to him. Meditating upon his person and his work requires the prayerful reading of his word. Very simple, very powerful. And then listen to what one of his friends said about Hudson Taylor. One of his friends who traveled with him often as he traveled throughout inland China visiting these hundreds of missionaries. This friend said, when I woke to feed the animals, I always found him reading the Bible by the light of his candle. This is early in the morning, right? No matter what the surroundings in those dirty inns, he never neglected this. So here's the question I want you to think about this morning. Grace Church, how are we doing in our own times seeking the Lord in prayer and in the Word? How are we doing in that? The reason I want to raise that question is because I believe that this morning God wants to do a work in us as a church, each of us individually, and us as a church to, to raise us up to a new level of passion to seek the Lord in prayer and in the Word, a new level of devotion to times with God, seeking His face, going hard after Him, having sweet communion with Him. God wants to stir that in us as a church this morning. And the passage that he wants to use is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1-10. through 10. So go ahead and turn there in your Bible. And just like Anami said earlier, what we're doing is we're working on how to study the Bible. It's called inductive Bible study. We've been working on that for the last few weeks. And the first focus when we read through a passage is that we want to find out what the author's main point or points is or are. What are the main points in this passage? And every author, when they write or speak, will give you clues to know what the main points are. 
And so we've been looking at what these clues are. The most obvious clue is commands. Commands in a passage are always main points. Other clues, so even if there's no commands, there's still main points. So other clues are words like therefore, which points ahead to a main point that's just about to be said right after the therefore, or words like since or because, which points to the fact that a main point was just stated in the previous statement. So commands, words like therefore, words like since or because. So let's read through 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and watch for clues, which will help us see what the main points are. Verse 1, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, and here he quotes from the book of Isaiah, which was written 700 years prior, Isaiah 28:16. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, and here he quotes from Psalm 118, verse 22, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And from Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Isn't that powerful? So encouraging. Now, did you notice the two commands in this passage? I hope you all underlined them in your Bible, okay? The first one is right there in verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And one step we've been working on taking is that when you find a command, you want to work on putting it in your own words because that'll help you see if you really understand it or not. So let's, I'm going to put this in my own words, each of these phrases. What is malice? Okay, we're supposed to put all these things aside. What is malice? Well, malice is any kind of an attitude or any kind of an action 
that you would have in you or you would take towards someone which would be harmful towards them. I mean, that could be avoiding them or gossiping about them, slandering them. That would be malice. Anything where you're harming someone else, harboring bitterness against them, that's malice. What's deceit? Well, deceit is where you lie to someone, right? Very, very obvious. Whether that's um, exaggerating a story so that you can impress them, or whether uh, you're flattering them so they think you're a nice person, whatever it might be, right? Just any kind of deceit, any kind of lying is what's being talked about there. How about hypocrisy? Well, that's where we're pretending to be something that we really aren't inside. So hypocrisy could be like somebody says, hey, have you read such and such a book? And we say, oh, yeah, I've, I read that, you know, because you want to look like you've read a lot of books. We all do that? Okay, anyway, or, or um, maybe if somebody says, you know, how are you doing? I'm, I'm fine. Uh, nothing's, no problems. So if you're struggling spiritually and you're pretending to do well, that would be, that's, that's hypocrisy. Put all this aside, deceit, malice, hypocrisy. Envy is very simple. It's when we want something that somebody else has, right? We're not satisfied fully in the Lord who is our all-satisfying treasure. We start to turn away from him. We're looking elsewhere. So we, we think we'd like somebody else's, like, like we'd like their friends, like their job, like their car, okay? Envy. And then slander would be speaking negatively about someone, uh, either as a way to put them down, to get back at them, or as a way to lift yourself up in front of other people because you're looking like you're better than them. But that's, that's slander. And so Peter's commanding us, and God, through Peter, is commanding us, put all of these away. Put them away. That's the first commandment. Second command is in the next verse. Verse 2. Look at what Peter says. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Now, the question I raise, here are these two commands, these two main points. Put away all these sins and long for pure spiritual milk. How are these commands related to each other? Is there, is there a connection between the two? And something that you can't pick up from the English Standard Version, which is what we use, and I'm surprised they didn't put this in there, but the first verse, the first command to put away is, is a, that verb is a participle. All of you Greek people that are passionate for Greek grammar, okay, or any kind of grammar, all right? So it's, a, it's an ing verb. And so literally the way this would be translated is, uh, so putting away these areas of sin, long for the pure spiritual milk. Now, why is that important? Well, it's because it shows that there's a connection between these two commands. If I said something to you like, like, um, so going to the store, please buy milk for us. Going to the store, I'm telling you how you're supposed to go ahead and buy the milk, by going to the store. So the, that's the same structure here. So what Peter is saying is, by putting these things away, by putting away these sins, long for the pure spiritual milk. So first you've got to put away these things, and then you'll be free to long for the pure spiritual milk. Now, what is this pure spiritual milk? Crucial question. Some uh, versions translate it pure milk of the word. How many versions put it that way? I, didn't, I forget to jot down which ones they were, but anyway, yeah. Some say pure 
milk of the word. And the reason is because the Greek word is logikos, where the word logos, word comes from. And so that's, that's a very plausible translation. And I think that that's right, but let me give you another reason why. And it's, it's because of that word so at the beginning of verse 1. Um, I'm sorry, not, not yet, that's coming. Uh, notice that in verses 24, and, oh, it is, the, the word so at the beginning of verse 1. That points, to, that's like the word therefore. So because of verses 24 and 25, chapter 1, therefore, by putting away these sins, long for the pure spiritual milk. So what was going on in verses 24 and 25? In those verses, Peter's saying, God's word abides forever. He spent a couple of verses talking about the word. So here's how the flow goes. Because God's word abides forever, verses 24 and 25 of chapter 1, therefore, so, by putting away sin, long for the pure spiritual milk of the word. So the fact that he's saying the reason we do this is because of the fact that the word lasts forever, that shows that it makes sense that the command he's calling us to long for, or what he's calling us to long for, is the pure spiritual milk of the word. See how that works? It's all from that word so at the beginning of chapter 2, verse 1. So the reason we should long for pure spiritual milk is because God's word abides forever, and therefore it makes sense to think that Peter's calling us to long for God's word. But I think it's not just longing for God's word. I think there's something more going on here. Notice what he says in verse 3. If you have tasted that the Lord is good... He's saying, long for the pure spiritual milk of God's word, is what I think that is, if you have tasted that the Lord is good. So he's not just calling us to long for for the Bible, not just like learning all these facts, getting all these facts from the Bible into your head, but he's, he's longing for us to taste of the goodness of the Lord that's revealed in the Bible. He's calling us to long to meet the Lord Jesus in the truths of the Bible. To learn the Bible, yes, but for the sake of meeting the Lord, because Jesus is described here. God the Father is described here. God the Holy Spirit is described here. And so to meet the Father, the Son, the Spirit in the truth of God's Word, that's what he's calling us to do. Long for the pure spiritual milk of meeting the Lord. And especially in this context, Peter's focusing on the Lord Jesus. So long for the pure spiritual milk of meeting the Lord Jesus in the Word. That's what Peter's talking about. One more reason I think that's what's going on here. Notice verse 4. He rephrases the command of verse 2 as, as you come to him. Not just coming to the the Bible, but we're coming to him in the Bible. Now, just a side note here. I've noticed over the years some Christians are, are really Bible people, which is a good thing to be, but their focus is mostly just on learning new facts, learning new things, having new knowledge. Other Christians say, I want to meet Jesus. I want to know Jesus. And that's a good thing to be. But the way to know Jesus is through where Jesus is revealed, the Scriptures. The most powerful way you can hear Jesus speaking to you is in the Word of God. The most powerful way you can experience the living Jesus is through the truth of God's Word. And so I say, bring the word people together and bring the Jesus people together and long for meeting Jesus in the truth of God's word. That's what we want to do here at Grace Church. Bible people seeking Jesus in the truth of God's word. We don't just want to learn facts. We want to know the living Jesus. But we know that the way to seek the living Jesus is in the truth of God's word. Does that make sense? Long 
for the pure spiritual milk of meeting Jesus in the truth of God's word. So here's Peter's main point, putting this together. Chapter 2, verse 1, by putting away malice and envy and so forth, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk of meeting Jesus in the truth of his word. That's what Hudson Taylor was doing early mornings with his candle while his friend was getting the animals fed. Okay, he was meeting Jesus in the truth of his word. Now, notice two things from those main points in verses 1 and 2. We need to put away malice and envy and deceit if we're going to meet Jesus in the truth of God's word. Do you see that? By putting away these things, we long to meet Jesus in the truth of his, his word. If we are harboring unforgiveness in our hearts towards someone, if you have a pattern of being hypocritical, trying to come across a different way than you really are in your heart, if you are malicious towards people, that's going to quench the work that the Holy Spirit would want to do in revealing Jesus to you through the word. That's why Peter says, by putting away these things, long for the pure spiritual milk. Notice also that we are to desire this pure spiritual milk like newborn infants. How do newborn infants desire milk? All those of you who've raised little ones, okay, if, if your little baby in the middle of the night is hungry and wakes up, what will that baby do? The baby will let you know, right? <clears throat> you don't sound very enthusiastic in answering this. This baby will let you know, this baby will let you know loudly, right? And so what if, what if you wake up and you say, uh, sweetie, why don't you just wait until the morning, okay? Then what will your little baby do? Louder, okay? More passionately, more fervently. And the baby will not relent until you feed him or her. Isn't that how it goes? And see, I love this because Peter has in mind what infants do when they are, or how infants long for milk. You see, because Infants, for infants, milk is their sustenance. It's their life. They passionately long for their milk. And that's the picture that Peter wants us to think about in terms of how we should be longing for meeting Jesus in the truth of his word. Longing to meet Jesus in the truth of his word. Craving meeting Jesus in the truth of his word, not being satisfied until I meet the living Jesus in the truth of his word. That's what Peter's calling us to do. Do you feel that? Like newborn infants. Wah! Wah! Okay, just longing. I must have this. Jesus, show me yourself. Meet me. Open up the scriptures to me. I'm thirsting for you. That's the picture that Peter has in his mind. Are you getting the picture? Okay. So this is Peter's main point in verses 1 and 2. And it's really the main points in these first 10 verses. He's saying, by putting away malice, envy, deceit, hypocrisy, like newborn infants, long to meet Jesus in the truth of his word. So let me ask, how are we doing in this, Grace Church? Are you longing this much? Are you meeting Jesus in the truth of the word? Now, you might be thinking to yourself, um, I've been trying. I've been waking up early. I've been opening up the scriptures, praying, reading, trying. 
but I'm, I just haven't been getting anything out of it. Now, I don't know why that is. There's all kinds of possible different reasons, but one, one possible reason, and the one that Peter wants us to think about here is, is it because you're clinging to envy of some sort? Is it because there's, there's some deception in your life towards your spouse, your children, your friends, uh, your home group? Is there some deception? Is there some malice or some unforgiveness towards someone? Because see, Peter's making it clear that that could stop what God wants to do in your heart through the word. Do you see the connection there? By putting away these things like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. Okay, so what, what do you do then? Now, Peter's not saying you have to be completely sinless in order to meet Jesus in the truth of his word. It's not what he means by putting away. What we should do is, and what, what you should do is, confess whatever it is to the Lord. Bring it to him and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I've been deceiving people. I've been hypocritical. I've been envious of someone. I'm sorry. Forgive me. And the beautiful thing is that because of what Jesus did in dying on the cross, you will be assured that you are completely, totally forgiven for that. And then you say, Jesus, now free me from this, please. As I open up your word, would you give me such a taste of your goodness, such a taste of your love, such an experience of your presence? Would you so satisfy my heart in yourself that I don't need to envy anything from anybody anymore? That deceit would just dissolve away. Who needs to deceive people? I have Jesus. Would you come and do that? And as you come to him, he will work in your heart and he will free you from that sin. So your job is to confess and turn from it and ask Jesus to help you. And he will then go to work and he will free you from that. So don't think you've got to get freed from this before you can open up the Bible and seek Jesus. You get freed from it by opening up the Bible and seeking Jesus. Okay? Others of you might be thinking this morning, well, honestly, um, I'm longing for a lot of other things way more than the pure spiritual milk of meeting Jesus in the Word. Um, I'm much more excited about watching football than, than that. Much more interested in, in shopping than that. Much more interested in hanging out with my friends than that. But here Peter's commanding us to like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk of meeting Jesus in the Word. So what can you do if, honestly, you have longings for a lot of other things and you really aren't longing that much to open up the Bible and meet Jesus? What can you do? First of all, we all have times like that in our lives, right? I do, you do, we all do. So what do we do? Well, that's why Peter wrote the rest of this chapter, rest of these, this passage, verses 1 through 10, because in the rest of this passage, as I studied it, I found seven reasons that Peter gives for why we should long for the pure spiritual milk of meeting Jesus in the Word, and why we should long more for that than for anything else. Why did he give us seven reasons? Because we need a lot of reasons, because we're battling all kinds of other desires that are pulling at us, right? So what Peter wants us to do now is let's go through these seven reasons and say, Father, come and use these reasons now to help me see how infinitely more valuable meeting Jesus in the Word of God is, infinitely more valuable than anything else. So that even right now while we're here this Friday morning, our hearts will change, our desires for him will grow, we'll have more passion like a newborn infant longing for the Word.
Does that make sense? So seven reasons. Why should we long to meet Jesus in the truth of his word? The first reason is we should long for this pure spiritual milk of meeting Jesus in the word because by this we will grow up into salvation. That's at the end of verse 2. Let's read all of verse 2 to get the flow of thought here. Verse 2, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Do you want to grow up into salvation? Yes, and here's why. This does not mean that we don't yet have salvation. He's not saying that all of his readers weren't yet saved. We have salvation the, the moment that we turn from our sins and put our trust in Jesus. The moment you trust Jesus Christ to forgive you, to change you, to fill and satisfy you, at that millisecond, you're saved. All your sins forgiven. God's power starts to work in your heart. He pours his love into your heart and you are for the first time fully satisfied. That happens the moment you put your trust in Christ. At that moment, you are saved. But even though we have salvation, there's more salvation we can grow into. That's what Peter is talking about here. See, too many people come to faith, experience God working in their hearts. They're filled with his love, his joy. But then the rest, over the next months and years, their joy declines declines, declines, right? That is not God's plan for the Christian life. And that is dangerous spiritually if that's happening to you. As much joy in the Lord as you've known, there's more that he has for you. As much of God's love as you've experienced being poured into your heart, there's more of God's love being poured into your heart that he has for you. As powerfully as you've experienced his presence, as you've studied and prayed over and meditated on the scripture, he has more for you. There is more salvation. You don't get more saved, but you can experience more salvation. I hope that makes sense. But this is how it is. And so as you long for the pure spiritual milk of meeting Jesus in the word, you will experience more and more of this gift of salvation God's given to you. You don't become more forgiven, you don't become more justified, but you experience his joy, his love, his peace, his presence more. Listen, Grace Church, each one of you, there's more for you. Oh, there is much more for all of us. There is more. Are you hungry for more or are you settling? It's dangerous. Okay, that's the first reason because there's more. Second reason is because we have tasted that the Lord is good. That's verse 3. Read it again. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. Sometimes the word if has the meaning because, and that's what's going on here. Because you've tasted that the Lord is good, that's why we should long to meet the Lord in the truth of his, his word. Every believer has had times when God has so stirred your heart as you've met Jesus in the truth of God's word. You've been filled. You've been satisfied. You know the living God. You don't just know about him, but you know him, his presence, his love, his goodness. And you know, if you're honest with yourself, that nothing has ever satisfied or filled you as much as meeting Jesus. Nothing. Nothing has ever satisfied or filled you as much, not even close. And so Peter's argument is, listen, you've tasted. You've tasted that the Lord is kind. Long for more. 
right? It's like if, if you're a gourmet cook, okay, and, and you, years ago you made your friend this incredible something or other hors d'oeuvre and he tasted it, oh, it was just amazing. And then you said, I want you to come to my house for dinner. He goes, well, I've got a lot going on. No, but, but you've tasted. You've tasted. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, I'll be there. I'll be there early, okay? That's how it works. So that's the second reason. You've tasted. You've known. Why are you frittering away your time and all these other things? Go for what will satisfy your heart the most. That's the second reason. Third reason. Even though Jesus is rejected by men, He's choice and precious to God. That's verse 4. Peter writes, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. I'm just going to stop there. First of all, Jesus is described as a living stone here. We'll get in the next few verses, we'll talk about how God is building a, a spiritual house with Jesus as the cornerstone. Jesus is the living stone. We all become living stones. That's in verses to come. So just file that away for a moment. But I want you to notice Peter's emphasis that, yes, Jesus, the living stone, has been rejected by men. And that's true, isn't it? Many philosophers have rejected the truth of Jesus. Many university professors have rejected the truth of Jesus. Many celebrities, sports stars, politicians have rejected the truth of Jesus. And, and we might think, well, if Jesus has been rejected by all those people, then, I mean, is he really true? Is, is, this, is this all real? Maybe it's just a legend or kind of a myth or people's wishful thinking. But don't let people's rejection of Jesus send you in that direction because, first of all, the Old Testament prophesied that Jesus the Messiah would be rejected. And Jesus himself said that he was going to be rejected. So don't be surprised that lots of people reject Jesus. And don't let that make you think that Jesus isn't who he said he, he is. Because as Peter says, even though Jesus is rejected by men, it makes no difference. To God, he's choice and precious. So weigh in the balance, people's opinions or God's opinions. Which weighs more? Boom! There's no comparison, right? People's opinions, poof, like dust. God's opinion, God's judgments is what matters. Now, this is important for us living here in Abu Dhabi. I was talking to a young woman who was part of our church a little while back and was part of our church from the very beginning. And I remember asking her, what has God done in your life through being part of, of the brothers and sisters here at Grace Church? What's God done? And I was shocked at what her answer was. She told me her story. She said, I've, I've, I've been here for, I had been here for a couple of years working and I work amongst some wonderful Muslim men and women who are sincere and kind and gracious, but they don't believe what the Bible teaches about Jesus. And over time, having all of those people who I worked with, who I respected, and having them rejecting the Jesus that I had believed in started to weaken my faith in Jesus. And I started to wonder, maybe I haven't been right in my beliefs. And she started to turn her heart away from Jesus. She stopped spending time seeking the Lord, and she was drifting away from Jesus Christ when some of you met her. 
And she said that when I saw brothers and sisters at Grace Church and their love for me, and when I saw their passion for Jesus Christ, and I saw their pursuit of the glory of Christ, it's just like I woke up one day and said, what am I thinking? And she turned her heart back to Christ, started to seek Christ, got renewed in her faith in Jesus Christ, and was brought back powerfully to Jesus Christ. And I mention that to you because I would guess that some of you here are in the exact same situation that she was in. Where we're surrounded by people in this country from different religions, people who are sincere, people who are kind, people who are gracious but who don't believe what the Bible teaches about Jesus Christ. And you can start to think, hmm, maybe I haven't been right. But don't go that direction because Peter here says, yes, Jesus is rejected by people, many people, but Jesus Christ is choice and precious to God. He is God's Messiah. He is God's way. God has sent his own son to the cross to save men and women. He is choice and precious in the sight of God, so you cling to Jesus no matter what anybody else says. In fact, it just, I thought of it this way. Even if every other human being rejects Jesus, even if you are the only soul on the globe who's trusting Jesus Christ, you're doing the right thing because he is choice and precious in God's eyes. Do you believe that? Do you feel that? That's the truth. God will be smiling upon you. And that's why we should long for the pure spiritual milk of meeting Jesus in the word, because he is choice and precious in God's eyes. Fourth reason. Because as you do long for the pure spiritual milk, you will be built up with others as God's spiritual house. Verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. God has a plan to build his church, a spiritual house, where every believer is a holy priest offering sacrifices to God, of sacrifices of prayer, sacrifices of forgiveness, sacrifices of fighting sin, sacrifices of worship, sacrifices of love for children, wives, husbands. We're offering spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. Now notice that Peter says to his readers, see if you agree with my conclusion from this. He says, you are being built into a spiritual house. You. You right there in what is now modern-day Turkey. That's the people that Peter is writing to. You are being built into a spiritual house. He doesn't say we, all of us believers around the globe, are being built into a spiritual house. There's truth to that, but here Peter is saying you, you believers right there, are being built into a spiritual house. Now here's why I want to clarify this. There is a universal church, all the believers that are living around the, around the globe today. But I've talked to people who've said, I'm just part of the universal church. I don't need to be part of any local church. But see, that's a misunderstanding of what the Bible teaches. Yes, there's a universal church, but the way to be part of the universal church is by being part of a local church. That's how you're part of the universal church. 
Now what if you're a church planter someplace where there's no other believers? Well, then, then you're working on planting a church, okay? So you're fine, God God's gives you grace for that, all right? This isn't a legalistic thing. But the way to experience what the church is is to be part of, of a local church. And so here, Peter is saying, you yourselves are being built up as a spiritual house. So we here at Grace Church, we want to have this verse be true of us. We want to be built up as a spiritual house. We can meet in a room like this and have beautiful worship music and have the Bible being preached and yet still not become a spiritual house. You don't become a spiritual house just by attending a meeting. How do we become a spiritual house? Well, Peter, Peter tells us here. Look again at verses 4 and 5. As you come to him, verse 4, you are being built up as a spiritual house. As you come to him. So the way that we get built up together as a spiritual house is by each of us individually coming to Jesus, by spending time in the word, seeking his face, to taste of Jesus in the truth of, of God's word. Now, I want to do a little illustration here. Nigel, could you come up here? I didn't ask Nigel ahead of time. I apologize, and I know you're going to be gracious. Come on up, just stand right here, because you and I are going to act something out here, okay? Thanks, man. Let's thank Nigel for being willing to do this on short notice. Yes, indeed. Okay, now you're, you're looking over that direction, okay? So you're, you're looking there. You're, you're all interested in something over there, okay? And, and I'm all interested in something over here. Okay, so you're still looking over there? Okay, good. And I'm right here. So, so notice we're both looking in different directions, right? We are not in any kind of unity together here. That's why we're standing a little ways apart from each other, okay? But now what happens if Nigel starts to, starts to seek Jesus in the truth of God's word? Just like, hold us in. So, so okay, now, now, now your head shifts from there, and now you're looking, you're looking at Jesus right. right there, okay? Okay? And you're, you're tasting, Okay, and you're experiencing. Okay, now, now, now if I've been looking over here at something else, and so if I start seeking Jesus in the scriptures too, then I start looking, and, and, and I'm looking at the same thing Nigel does, and what happens all of a sudden is, here we go. We're being built together into a spiritual house. Is Jesus awesome or what? Okay, right, see how that works? Okay, see, thank you. Let's thank Nigel for helping us with that one. When, when you are seeking Jesus in the truth of his word, and your brother or your sister is seeking Jesus in the truth of God's word, then you will be brought into a spiritual unity together. You'll be connected together. You'll be filled with Jesus' love so you can forgive each other and put up with each other when things, because things do get difficult, right? We're, we're not perfect yet. We're not in heaven yet. We still sin. But that's how we become built together as a spiritual house. So that's the fourth reason that we should long for the pure spiritual milk of meeting Jesus in the word because as we do, we will be built together with other believers who also are longing to meet Jesus in the truth of his word. And Grace Church, that's how we will become then a spiritual house, offering spiritual sacrifices to God, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's the fourth reason. Fifth reason, it's because Jesus is the cornerstone and being built on him is a great honor. This is verse 6 in the beginning of verse 7. Remember, Peter quotes from Isaiah chapter 28, 16 here. Listen to what he says, verse 6 in the beginning of verse 7. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. 
so the honor is for you who believe. So Peter is writing to believers who are definitely in the minority. And when we are in the minority, which we are here in the Middle East, we can easily start to feel like, uh, just feel some shame that our numbers are so small. We can conclude that. That's how we can feel uh, at our workplaces. If you're like the only believer there, right, you can kind of feel shamed and intimidated. Um, in your neighborhood, if you're the only believer that's there. But, but Peter wants to give you a vision of, of what is happening and what is true of you and what's true of your brothers and sisters. It's that God is doing something amazing in the world. He's doing something amazing here in Abu Dhabi, raising up churches. God is saving men and women from every nation, tongue, and tribe, and God is building a spiritual house many spiritual houses in every different people group, and the cornerstone of the spiritual house that he builds is who? It's Jesus Christ. So he lays in Zion this stone, this precious choice cornerstone, Jesus Christ, through his life, his death paying for sins, his resurrection, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone that Jesus is building this spiritual house upon. And there's only one cornerstone. And so spiritual house, that's God's spiritual house is being built upon Jesus. So see if this helps you. When you wake up early and open up God's word and pray and seek his face, you are building your life upon the one true cornerstone. That's like massively important. You're building your life on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. When you take a break, maybe in the middle of the day, maybe for lunch, and you just have a chance to open up the scriptures and just pray and meditate on the Lord and just say thank you for who you are, Jesus Christ. You are building your life on the one true cornerstone. Fathers, when, when you lead your family in praying together and reading the scriptures together, you are building your family on the one true cornerstone. When you invite your neighbor over for dinner and you're getting to know them and they're sharing their testimony and, and then you share, or they're sharing their story and you share your story and you can share testimony of what Jesus Christ has done in your life, you're speaking of God's one true cornerstone. So this is the fifth reason to earnestly long for the pure spiritual milk of meeting Jesus in the word. It's because Jesus is the cornerstone no other cornerstone anywhere in the world. Just Jesus. He is the cornerstone. And being built on him is a great honor. Like, let me just press this a little bit and, and ask yourself, is, is your life built on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ? Everybody builds their life on some cornerstone. But is your life being built on the true cornerstone, Jesus Christ? Understand that there is no other true cornerstone, only Jesus Christ. He's choice and precious in God's eyes, and he's calling you this morning to build your life on the true, lasting, unchanging cornerstone, Jesus. Sixth reason. It's because those who reject Jesus stumble and fall. This is sobering. Verses 7 and 8 so the honor of being built upon the cornerstone is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, 
The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Psalm 118.22. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Isaiah 8.14. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Peter quotes these Old Testament passages because he wants us to understand that those who reject Jesus will end up stumbling and falling. Instead of the cornerstone being a foundation for their lives, it's going to be a stumbling block, uh, a stone of stumbling and falling for them. Now, Peter knows that his readers could think because of all these people who are rejecting Jesus that maybe God's plan has failed. And that's why Peter says this phrase that can be puzzling, the last line of verse 8, they disobey the word as they were destined to do. I think Peter wants to comfort them that this is ultimately under God's control. Now, that, that raises lots of questions, and there is mystery here. But the point is that God is sovereign over everything. Yes, lots of people are turning from Christ, but that doesn't mean God's plan is failing. God is in sovereign control over, over everything, and so that's why Peter wants to bring that word of encouragement to his readers. But understand, we should not be intimidated by those who don't follow Christ. They're rejecting the cornerstone, the chief, choice, precious, only cornerstone. So weep for them. Pray for them. Love them. God could change their hearts just like that. As they see him shining forth from your love, as they hear him spoken forth in your words, God can save them. So weep for them, pray for them, share with them, but don't become one of them. Don't become one of them. Don't reject Jesus. Don't stumble over the, the cornerstone. Instead, trust Jesus. Trust Him, church. Trust Him as your Savior. Trust Him as your Lord. Trust Him as your all-satisfying treasure. And long for the pure spiritual milk of meeting Jesus in the Word. One last reason, number seven. The reason we should long for the pure spiritual milk of meeting Jesus in his word is because, by God's mercy, we are part of God's people whose purpose is to proclaim his excellencies. Again, think about Peter's readers, very much of a minority, small group, vastly outnumbered by unbelievers. It'd be easy to, to drift away from Jesus, to stop seeking him, to just get lukewarm about him. Same with us. It could be easy to do in this setting. But verses 9 and 10 were written by Peter to encourage them with who God has made them to be in Christ. So listen again to what Peter says in verses 9 and 10 and apply this to you. But you are, as small a group as you are, as, as outnumbered as you might be, you are a chosen race. He's not thinking ethnicity here. He's thinking about God's people, followers of Jesus. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for God's own possession. And here's the purpose, that you may proclaim the excellencies of 
of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then this next verse, just beautiful. Once you were not a people, right? You were not a people. You were wandering, you were drifting, you were dead in sin. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. So let let this impact you. We all were once dead in sin, rebelling against God, running away from God. But in great mercy, God sent Jesus. He died on the cross. He paid for our sin. And God saved us so that we would long for the pure spiritual milk of meeting Jesus in the word. So that we will be, second, built up to our brothers and sisters as a spiritual house. So that we can proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So Grace Church, that is who you are. That is your purpose. That is why God saved you. That is what he is making us to be. So long to meet Jesus in the truth of God's word. Let's pray together. God, I ask that you would strengthen each of us through this scripture in exactly the ways we need to be strengthened. I pray for those here this morning who are not yet trusting Jesus Christ as their Savior, as their Lord, as their treasure. I pray that right now, Lord, you would change their hearts. I pray that they would see the the inferior taste of sin and they would long for the superior satisfaction of knowing you through Jesus being forgiven being changed being filled Lord right now draw them I pray draw them to Christ and I pray Lord for those of us who are trusting Christ that we would not settle for anything less than meeting you in the truth of your word meeting the precious cornerstone in the truth of the scriptures Oh, Lord, call us right now. What are you calling us to do? What new steps are you calling us to take to seek your face? What new steps of prayer, of meditation on your word, of study of your word are you calling us to take? Lord, call us. We want to become a spiritual house, offering spiritual sacrifices which are pleasing to you through Jesus, proclaiming the excellencies of you. Lord, work this in us, I pray, for our joy and for your glory. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.